0: Whilst none of us can know um, the outcome of the Russian-Ukrainian war, uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, the passage we heard today, um, has echoes of this conflict. After the attack and annexation of Crimea in 2014, you might remember the Russians attacked and took uh, Crimea in 34 days. I think they were expecting on on February the 24th last year for a very quick war where they would win. They called it a special military operation. But now, almost a year later, the Ukrainians have held fast and they've even fought back, regaining some of the territory um, under their inspirational leader, Vladimir Zelensky, who has called the Ukrainian people not to be frightened of the Russians, to unite and to fight for their nation and for their cause. The Ukrainian crisis has in many ways been a battle of leadership where Zelensky has held fast to a vision um, of a free and independent Ukraine. That's what he's holding fast to. And his leadership has been incredibly inspiring. And he's managed to gain quite a lot of support, as you know, from overseas and so on and so forth. And it does show you the impact that a leader can have in a time of crisis. In fact, Time Magazine voted him the personality of the in the year last year. And on his recent trip to America, he was awarded the Liberty Medal by the US uh, National Constitution Center for, quote, his heroic defense of liberty in the face of Russian tyranny. Now, I'm not certainly um, glorifying war. But when we think of Nehemiah 4, We're thinking of a battle and defending a vision and so on and so forth. So as we carry on our series in Nehemiah today, we are refocusing on our vision as a church. And our vision as a church is to be a flourishing Christian community. As we engage with our mission, which is to connect people to God and to one another. Howard has spoken about the reality of declining numbers um, and the increasing average age of our faith community as some have left and some and many have passed to glory. This, of course, has got ramifications on resourcing ministry. Um, But there are also signs of great encouragement as new people have come and uh, Vicky and her family have come and st- uh, be- ignited our worship again here at Central. And there have been others, um, Neil and Carla Ryan, I think of, down at um, Hope, uh, on Arahi, who have reinvigorating the worship down there. And that's great. Uh, we've also baptised um, six adults in three years, which apparently, according to the Presbyterian Church, is a bit of a record. Hmm. Anyway, um, we've also um, got the emerging inner city mission, um, the the, the chaplaincy, uh, where Elaine Holwell is leading the charge on the inner city chaplaincy and the court chaplaincy, and people are getting on board with that. And, of course, Adrian Whale is looking at um, a review of the possibility of a central city mission. Um, We have the beginnings of a Sunday school, and in fact... It's very interesting. Um, I got an email this last week about a couple who want to baptize their child, and they said, and then we would want to bring her to the Sunday school. So have we got a Sunday school to bring people to? And, of course, um, later this year, we're going to be running an alpha course down in a cafe in the center of town, um, trying to connect people to God and to one another. These are all exciting new opportunities, Now, Nehemiah is a book that details how a God-given vision was put into reality through a godly leader who was willing to take risks and who called God's people to action despite opposition. Nehemiah was a man of unswerving faith, prayer, and action. In fact, a couple who commentated on this passage, Donna and Thomas Petter, called Nehemiah for... Zion fights back, a play on the Star Wars uh, movie. So following uh, Zerubbabel and Ezra coming back, and the temple was rebuilt, starting to be rebuilt, uh, Nehemiah heard this call of God to go back to the city, and God put a plan in his heart. And he got permission from the king, Artaxerxes, And Artaxerxes said, go with my blessing, but when are you coming back? He was obviously a highly respected leader. So let's look at chapter 4 very quickly. Uh, In verses 1 to 3, 7 and 8, and uh, 10 to 12, we note that there's terrific opposition to the call to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Opposition is immediately aroused by some local Samaritans particularly to the north. Um, and we hear that Sanballat and Tobiah and a little later some Arabs and Anamites and Ashdodites, they start to rise up in anger against Nehemiah, rebuilding the wall. Their response is to mock Nehemiah. Ha ha, you think you can rebuild the wall? <laughs> even if a fox tripped over your wall, it would fall down. He wasn't very confident. They weren't very confident at all. They were teasing them. And a little bit later, we hear that the opposition makes serious plans to attack because we hear in this passage that half the wall is completed. And this really rouses the anger. And then what happens, of course, is they start talking to some of the Jews living around Jerusalem. Um, Some of the enemies start talking to them and sowing seeds of doubt and fear. And so we hear about this tribe called Judah. And Judah starts to spread fear amongst the Jews. The spreading of fear. The rot seems to be setting in. How is Nehemiah going to deal with this? People are losing sight of the vision. They're tired. They're losing sight of the vision. So first of all, his responses are, first of all, he prays. In verse 4 and 5, he appeals to God. You know, we just sung that song. God is an awesome God. He's to be feared. And Nehemiah says, um, you've brought me on this mission, God. You've showed me what to do. Don't let these people oppose me because if they are, they're opposing you. That's confidence in prayer. And he says to them, just like we were carried off into exile, send some armies in here to carry them off into exile. They're opposing you. Then in verse 9, we see him not only praying himself, but he starts to gather the people to pray together. Corporate prayer. You know, a lot of people in the church say, oh, I'm all right, I'll just pray at home in my room. But there's something happens when people come together to pray. And he um, corporate prayer happens, and this seems to energize them. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God, it says in verse 9. At this point, Nehemiah acts, and he says half the people should work, and the other people should be armed and ready to fight the opposition. And even he says this. He says, when you're building the wall, some of you have your swords on the side and build with the other hand. I don't know if he had a of 10 um, uh, pen which has got a little um, you know, little thingy on it, but they got out there and they oh it is straight, and um, they started to build. And that's what they were doing. But then when the fear started to get in, Nehemiah did something. He called all the people together and he had a state of the nation address. And this is what he said. He said, don't Be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. I think this is a key verse in this chapter. Don't fear. Don't be frightened. Remember the Lord and fight. This state of the nation address galvanized the Jews to complete the job. And these are three truths, if you look through Scripture, that have always done the people of God um, great, given them great courage and caused them to move forward in faith. The rest of the chapter is all action in a way. Half the people build, half the people are armed, builders are are working and watching. Trumpeters are summoned in case the troops attack. And we hear this line that they didn't even take their clothes off. In another version it says, only to be washed. We didn't even take their clothes off at night. And Nehemiah himself was in the front line. He wasn't sitting in an office telling people what to do. He was out there with the troops. He was leading by example. Now, I want to ask the question... What can we learn from this passage today for us sitting here in Whangarei? The first thing we can learn is this. God's work will always attract or bring opposition. Always. The devil's name is not mentioned here, but the Samaritan opposition has all the hallmarks of satanic work. Satan will always oppose God's work. It's actually his job description. The word Satan means accuser or adversary. Just as God's works, just as God works through people to bring his kingdom to earth, so Satan works through people to destroy what God wants to build. Satan does it through threats, Through spreading gossip and rumours, through mocking, through telling lies, and through discrediting the work of God. Oh no, you never fulfil that vision, it's far too big. No, you can't do that. That's how Satan works. Now, Jesus Christ experienced this himself. Firstly, at his birth, Satan worked through Herod to try and kill him. And the result was he managed to escape, as you know, and lots of little boys under the age of two were slaughtered in Bethlehem. That is Satan's work. When Jesus was baptised, when he came into his ministry, the very first thing that happened was, it says, he was led into the wilderness to be tested. We will always have opposition. And finally... One day he was talking to Peter and he said, Peter, who do you think I am? He said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said this I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus recognized that there's a battle to build God's kingdom, to build the church. There's a battle. If you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this sentence. You and I are involved in the greatest building project on the planet, to build Christ's church. We are involved in the greatest building project on the planet, to build Christ's church. Each one of us has a part to play, but for that, We must expect opposition. We must expect discouragement. We must expect fear and attack on God's way and his truth. You know, sometimes the attacks can come through your families, discrediting Jesus, discrediting God. Sometimes the attacks can come through your workmates. Sometimes the attacks can come when you're out in the community. Sometimes the attacks can even come from within the church where people start to spread rumours and gossip. Somebody once said to me, I remember when I came into ministry, a chap called John Mins, the Reverend John Mins, um, and he said to me, Lorne, one of the things about the church you need to understand is that sometimes there's too much of the world in the church and not enough of the church in the world. And I've thought about that. And sometimes what we can do is we can bring the world's thinking into the way that we think our finances should be dealt with and other things. We bring the world's systems in instead of looking to the Lord. Sometimes the greatest um, things um, that God brings about is when we are completely dependent on him to move forward. So, as we see all these fresh opportunities bubbling up, the Central City Mission, the court ministry, as we see the, um, the, the Central Mission, as Adrian Whale is exploring that, as we see Alpha being run in the community, rather than put it down and say, oh, why can't it be run at the church? Say, yeah, I'll support that. I'm into that. That's how it's going to move forward. In fact, when I was down at Bob Cafe, I saw a couple of big fish as their lights on the wall. I think, Lord, are you speaking to us? I'm going to make you fishes of men. Um, are we on board with the children's ministry? You know, we had, bless her, dear Janet Heron, who left in her will a significant sum of money to build the church for children's ministry. That's what the council have decided to use it for, to build the church are we on board? Will we get behind some of these initiatives? Will we pray for them? Uh, Will we be encouragers? Will we um, get involved and help and say, yeah, I can help. What can I do? And the other thing in the church is we need to also um, be very aware of ministries that are not producing fruit anymore and have the confidence to let them go. Because sometimes ministries that are not bearing fruit can just sap energy for God may want to do a new thing. The second thing I want to say, the second thing that we can learn from this is that God's work for the Christian is a priority. Life in God's kingdom is all about priority. It really is. If God's kingdom, the church, is God's number one priority, I will build my church, it needs to be ours. It really does. Everything else comes second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek it first. Nehemiah teaches us that the priority that this that priority implies mutual submission You know submission to leadership Uh, He couldn't go back and build unless he'd submitted to Artaxerxes Artaxerxes said yes submission to leadership Is a big thing in the church Um, It's not that the leaders have got all the but they've been elected to to make decisions on everybody's behalf So it implies mutual submission. It implies unity of heart. It implies commitment and sacrifice. These are the things that exemplify the life of Jesus. This should be revealed in our diaries, our bank accounts, and the use of our time. It's so easy for Christians to make the church And God's kingdom part of their lifestyle rather than their lifestyle. It's so easy. I'll have a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of church. It's so easy to fall into that way of thinking. Nehemiah shows first and foremost that this begins in prayer. Whenever Nehemiah was confronted with a problem, he took it to God in prayer. That's where he took it. It's having that constant prayerful attitude where we can listen to the, it's not just like going and saying, I'm going to go and say my prayers now and then I'm going to go on to do something else. It's when we open ourselves up in prayer, it's we're opening ourselves to the Lord and during the day we might hear the promptings of the Holy Spirit to say, do this, do that, support this, do that. That's what prayer is. Sometimes we are the answer to a prayer. You know, one of the great ministries that the leadership of the church have been underlining are the various prayer courses that are on offer. I think there are three of them all together. Um, and most of these prayer courses are, have been done in connect groups. So a big question to ask yourself today is, are you in a connect group? Are you connecting with people in small groups where the people are doing these courses? Uh, Paul says, therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks being given to all men. First of all, prayer, he says. Between Easter and Pentecost this year, I think we're going to be involving ourselves in the Thy Kingdom Come movement again, the pray for five people. Um, you're probably still praying for your five from last time, but keep praying. Keep praying. And when I was down at this um, service and preached the gospel, um, my friend said to me, My sister, I really hope, I've been praying for her for years, that she will respond to the gospel. And she was in the congregation, and um, Sue and I went round to visit the family um, afterwards. And she came in, and as she was leaving, she walked past me. She said, Pity we didn't have a chance to talk. There were some things that you said that I really want to talk to you about, and she kind of left. So I'm praying that there'll be someone down there to talk to her about the gospel. You know, um, so let's get involved in these prayer initiatives that um, the leadership of the church are providing for us as a community. Um, And and this all requires us to have on our hearts, yes, let's build Christ's church. Let's build it. Let's build. And the third thing I want to just highlight is this little quote, do not fear, remember God and fight. I found this so helpful this holidays to be reading and thinking about those three little quotes Do not fear, remember God, and fight. Do not fear. You know, fear is the opposite of faith. It really is. Uh, There's a man called David Conolaf who's written a devotional called 365 Days of Fear Not. And he says apparently there are 365 fear nots in the Bible. One for every day of the year. Now, faith, which is the opposite of fear, comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so when we're in prayer, the best way to be in prayer is to have a Bible open on your lap and to read the scriptures and pray the scriptures and respond to what the Holy Spirit's saying. Now, the thing I want to ask is what do we fear? Do we fear death? Do we fear sickness? Do we fear other people? Do we fear financial hardships? Um, do we fear the demise of the church? Do we fear these things? Do we fear change? Do we just want to hang on to things? Do we, are we frightened of change? Because for every one of these fears, there's a promise for God, of God to lift your faith so you do not need to fear. You see, as we focus on the promises of God, fear has to go and we can move forward in faith. The second thing is remember God. You know, I don't know about you, but I find it so helpful to remember the way God has been faithful to us, me and Sue, and our family in the past, and I can trust and I can say, Lord, you've been faithful in this area, and I'm trusting, I'm looking to you again. And that's why we need to read the stories of the Bible, because in the stories of the Bible, we hear of people who move forward in faith, um, and we, we say, oh God, you did that for Abraham. You did that for Moses. You did that for David. You did that for these people. And no, notice what Nehemiah says. He says, if we remember God and we put him first, he says in verse 20, he will fight for us. He will, because he's our loving father. And the final thing is, fight. Raymond Brown says this about prayer. He says, prayer is not a convenient device for removing life's problems, but a loving God's provision for coping with them. That beautiful verse I was thinking about this morning as I scribbled this down. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up on wings like eagles. They will not grow weary or faint. So we are called to fight, and as we prayerfully respond, we are called to act, not just to sit back and let God do it all, because that's not the way it works. Nehemiah rallied the troops, and the troops got active, and they completed that wall. And so can we complete God's vision. We can be part of God's vision in this place at this time. And I want to ask you at the end, see all of us are called every single one of us we are called as members of hope whangarei the hope whangarei community of faith to work to see us become a flourishing christian community to see us connect people with god and with one another and i want to ask you today are you really behind this are you in for this are you Behind this vision, will you get involved? Let's pray. Just take a moment and allow whatever God has said to you this morning just to settle on your heart. Lord, um, give us faith, give us strength, um, give us a will, O Lord, to be in this together. Help us, Lord, to build your church, which is your undying passion, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.